This is Browns Digest. What's going on, Browns fans? Hope you guys are hungry. We're back for another episode of the Browns Digest podcast, episode six. And it is a great time to be back because the NFL draft is literally right around the corner. Next Thursday, the draft will be here in Cleveland, Ohio. Hopefully the weather is a lot better on draft night than it is today, um, as it did snow last night. But before we get into more details, Pete, how are you doing today? I'm good. We're we're you know a week from finally getting to see who we're actually going to pick. Yeah, so this is going to be huge um, for the Browns. They have numerous picks. Um, Andrew Barry has did a very good job of building the roster through free agency. So there's not a ton of needs that the Browns have to address. Um, Obviously, there still are some question marks when it comes to linebacker with the release of Sheldon Richardson. You have the interior of the defensive line and then also, you know, boundary corner receivers, things like that. But we'll get more into detail as we talk about the different prospects that will be available in the NFL draft next week. And of course, as you guys always know, the Browns Digest podcast is available every Friday at noon on the Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website. So make sure, guys, you can list it on there. Uh, get basically a breakdown of the show. And then it's also available on your favorite audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere that you can find podcasts, you can find the show. And if you miss any of the previous ones, make sure you guys go check them out as we do go into detail of the Browns depth chart and also what the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers are doing uh, likely for the draft um, prior to next week. So uh, before we get into the draft needs, what are your thoughts on the release of Shudder Richardson and why do you think it happened? Well, I was surprised for one thing. I, I didn't expect it uh, when it happened, but they were sort of in the situation where they were near, not really out of salary cap space, but close enough that it was going to sort of be uncomfortable, uh, particularly for next year. We talked about it uh, last time on the pod about void years and how they're sort of basically already spending $6.6 million into next year. Uh, and this is part of why the rollover cap is so important. So, you know, this, the release moves them, I think close to 22 million uh, and they have to sign their draft picks, but that's not really that much money. It's a couple, few million dollars because, you know, the guys they keep uh, they're going to drop other salaries. So their top 51 is not really going to change, but uh you know, so initially I was surprised and then, you know, I, I got to thinking about what I, what my theories of the case on this um, first and foremost, um, I think the Browns probably went to Sheldon Richardson and said, look, uh, you know, and, and the timing is not random. They, they waited until they got Judebi and Clowney, um, but they go to Sheldon Richardson. Look, they say, we need, we, we want you here, but we want you here at this number. And at some point along the line, Sheldon Richardson has basically had to have said, 
you know, I, I think I can get more than that or, or whatever on the open market. So go ahead and release me. I'm not going to take, you know, that lower thing. So let's go ahead and do this. Uh, I think he went out the door with that number. If he can't get that number uh, that he, that he'd like, he may ultimately end up coming back. I am inclined to think that's a little bit more PR than it is realistic. Um, not to say they wouldn't do that, but I, I just think Sheldon Richardson's going to find a home um, elsewhere. So, you know, immediately it went to, well, why would you cut Sheldon Richardson? And, and again, it, it comes down to Jadevian Clowney. The timing is, is not random at all. They, they would not have done this had they not gotten Clowney, uh, but they did. And you look at sort of the makeup of their defensive tackles, and it's difficult not to notice that Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney, and Malik Jackson are three guys that can play inside and outside. And particularly Clowney and Jackson are guys who really thrive on the interior. Uh, so you get that versatility. And to his credit, Sheldon Richardson can and has played big end in the past, but he's predominantly a three-tech three, three tech. So the Browns have these three guys that can do a little more than one thing. And I think that's really where they're trying to lean into this thing is if you get these sort of combo defensive linemen that can go outside and then come inside to rush the passer, you're, you're, you're long enough, stout enough, uh, and able to sort of prevent being run on early, earlier downs. Uh, and then when you get into obvious pass, uh, passing downs, you can put them inside or wherever and just sort of, set them loose. And with that in mind, I think that's sort of the thought process here is that if the Browns can just continue building with those type of linemen, they can get the bigger, fatter kids, which they like. Uh, Andrew Billings is a, is a real good example of that. Who are those pure cloggers relatively cheaply? And it really mirrors their approach to linebacker that the defensive tackle now has these very specific jobs while also being, relatively cost efficient. So Sheldon Richardson gets released. You know, he, he they have some guaranteed money. They have to eat on $1.66 million. They have to eat on that for next year. Uh, but they get back, you know, about $12 million in cap room. It's more like 11 uh, and change, but uh, now their investment in defensive tackle amounts to 4.5 million in Lee Jackson, who can do multiple things. Andrew Billings is 3.5 million. That's not bad. And then Jordan Elliott's a rookie. Now they do need to get another guy, probably another nose, but that's not going to cost them a fortune. So now defensive end has really become like they're, they're treating DBs and particularly safeties where they're investing heavily in those guys. And in terms of both money and draft capital, and they can do a lot of things. And now because Jadevian Clowney can play the outside and come inside and rush where he's been really effective, that's where I think this thing's ultimately going and what they sort of want to do. So that's what I'm looking for in this. I, I mean, I get it. Look, Sheldon Richardson was overpaid uh, relative to you know what he was doing, but he was a, a good player who played a ton of reps for the Browns, which is great. He was incredibly reliable at a, a, a difficult position. He played like 70% of snaps over, you know, hit, over the course of his career and with the Browns, which is inherently super valuable. Uh, but in terms of like being an impact defensive tackle, it was really hit or miss. There were some games where he was absolutely dominant. Uh, he was great against the Tennessee Titans uh, and, and had had a big play stripping uh, Derrick Henry in the backfield and some of those things. And then there were other games you're sitting there going, you know, what, he hasn't really done much. And I think 
that's where this thing goes is, is early downs, particularly they don't love that he can get pushed around a little bit and he's still better than what they were putting out last year. But I think that's the issue. They like the idea that they can have those guys be on the outside and then move them in when they want them to rush and have more stout guys on the in- interior to really stop the run. And, uh, you know, they, they, they left, they let Ogan Joby walk. They've now let Richardson walk. They're going to get Billings back. And I think they're going to, and Jordan Elliott's sort of in that mold. He's a really stout guy. Uh, I think they're going to try to get another one of those type of guys. Yeah. And the overlying theme here continues to be is value. Uh, obviously the amount of value that Sheldon Richardson provided for the defense wasn't worth the price point uh, that he had. So you save roughly $12 million in cap space that eventually you're going to roll over likely into next offseason. That's going to save you some money when it comes to extensions for Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, uh, hopefully Nick Chubb. So decisions like that in terms of allowing Richardson to walk because he wasn't able to basically meet your cap restructuring demands if he does go out and my belief as well is that the agent believes that he can find more money on the open market and more power to you at the end of the day the life shelf of any football player is shorter than pretty much any other sport so you know you can you should get your money when you can and based off of the play that he's given the browns for the last few years i believe that he'll be able to find a solid deal most likely like a one-year deal with another team, you know, and still get some solid money. Um, you know, if it's around nine, 10 million, I mean, that's good for him. You know, hitting double digits is going to be, I feel kind of tough giving the cap situation, but it will be interesting to see and, you know, something to monitor if he does potentially come back. And I agree as well that Jadavian Clowney's ability to slide inside is something that went into that decision as well, because now you get this flexibility of moving Jadavian Clowney inside having Tack McKinley come and play on the edge and now you have Miles Garrett who can combine power and speed in his pass rush you have Malik Jackson who is smaller um, he's only 285 pounds on the interior versus like Jordan Jordan Elliott who's 300 pounds uh, he's more slim he's always been a guy that's been able to create interior pressure he did that throughout his career with the Eagles then you get Jadavian Clowney, someone that's athletic, strong, and he's obviously going to have an advantage when it comes to speed and explosiveness off the ball or off the line of scrimmage um, against a guard or a smaller center. So that's definitely something they could take advantage of. And then you have Tack McKinley on the outside, who's mostly going to be a speed finesse pass rusher, and it gives Joe Woods more versatility on the defensive line and what he can do in terms of generating pressure. So as we look at the draft, uh, they have a, the Browns currently have picks in all seven rounds. Uh, pick number 26 in round one, 59 in round two, 89 and 91 in rounds three. Uh, round four, they have 10 and 110 and 132. Round five, 169, and then 211 or yeah, 211 and 257 in round six and seven. So looking at the selections and kind of how they're grouped together. My belief is we're going to see trades in this draft, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's two. Um, I think three probably would be a little bit too much, you know, maneuvering among the draft board. But obviously, with them having nine picks, 
they don't really have room for nine rookies on this roster. So for me, I feel that the best course of action would be to trade back from either 89 or 91. Ideally, I would say 89 because you're going to get more value versus 91. And the only team in between that pick is the Minnesota Vikings and a lot of their needs. Um, I don't feel like will constrain you too much based off who you will grab at 91. Uh, you know, obviously, granted, the team that you trade up with isn't someone that has a similar need as you at 91. And then also they have that flexibility, if necessary, to combine pick 91 and say 132 to move up to another pick or or whatever the case may be. I feel there may be a situation where they're going to have to combine a couple picks this year and potentially something next year. If you're only going to be able to offer maybe like a three and a four, like maybe a three this year, a three next year and a four to move up into round two. Um, I think that's something that could provide a lot of value in terms of getting a position of somewhat need. Uh, when you look at the fact that certain position groups of need that the Browns have are, aren't the deepest. So like when you look at receiver, uh, that's a group where you have a lot of talent near the top. And based off of where the Browns are drafting, a lot of those situations are, okay, do I grab best player available or do I grab the position of need? And when you have those extra picks in round three and four, I think that gives you a little bit more ability to move up, you know, to grab a player if necessary. Right. So, like, the fact that they have extra picks in round three and round four, those are the picks that sort of stand out to me as potential trade ammo um, because they can do use those to move up and not lose their position in those relative rounds. The teams typically feel sort of awkward when they give up huge amounts of uh, space where they don't have a pick, so they can't do anything, um, whether you know, they, whether it's trading to gain more assets or because they want to move around and get a player. Um, so that stands out to me. Uh, but I think the, the you get in this thing and, and I think the talent relatively speaking from 20 to about 50 is pretty even um, which is part of the reason I think that you know there's so many players mentioned um, in that range so you see so many different names in the first round uh, some people like I know Lance Zierlein is uh, is suggesting that, uh, that 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 that's really a function of the media being more behind than in normal years which is potentially very true, but it really does feel like that there's this range of guys where that, you know, they're, they're some nice players, but I think overall in that range, you can get a guy at 50, who's probably going to be about the same level of overall talent uh, as, as the goes 25th pick. Um, so long as nobody's trying to, to reach for need uh, in that scenario. So, um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, there's a trade in the back end of the first round, if somebody's trying to come up and get a quarterback that no one expects or, or whatever, the Browns could potentially be in that market. What I think is more likely is that they're going to trade either up in round two or up from round three um, to get potentially two players in that top 50 range that address their two biggest issues, uh, corner and defensive end. Uh, but you know, they could easily want to get three in a certain range to try to get one more guy could be, a, could be a wide receiver, could be a safety, 
Um, you know, so many people are getting this weird idea that the Browns don't need more safety help. They have no depth. Um, it's Sheldrick Redwine, Javante Moffitt, guys like that. So, you know, you're, if you're planning on utilizing three safeties a lot, you need more guys uh, at depth. You need them for special teams. But, you know, if somebody gets hurt, uh, and we don't know what Grant Delpit's going to be. Uh, I, I, every time, you know, Kevin Stefanski was on his press conference says he's progressing well. Meanwhile, Delpit says he's a few months away, and that may be totally expected. But at the same time, you know, if, if somebody sprains an ankle or something, they can't just not play this defense anymore. So they're, they're, they're sort of pot committed to that point. So I think that becomes a big deal. So they may want to get another safety in the mix relatively early in this draft. Yeah, and the two positions that really gave me the idea that they would need to trade up, you know, rather it be into early round two or, you know, moving around a little bit uh, from that 59th pick up and then, you know, potentially moving up in the third round, however it may be done, is really to target either a safety or a wide receiver, depending on what happens, you know, who they get round one and how the board is falling. So let's first address the really the two biggest positions of need, which are edge rusher and boundary corner. Looking at edge rusher, a few people that I have on the board for first round um, picks that can fit what the Browns really need. And let me first say this is there's obviously a type of player. You've already talked about this before in previous episodes is they need guys that are bigger up front. So for me, when you look at the fact that they're going to be running more defensive backs, they're only going to really utilize maybe two linebackers. You're losing a lot of size, you know, up front. So, or I should say on the back end and on the second level. So up front, you need bigger guys. So in that situation, someone like Aziz Ojolari, it's a tough sell for me because he's smaller. Um, so my top three, I, I would say, would be Quiddy Pay. Jason Oweya and then Jalen Phillips and then of the th of those three of those first round picks my personal favorite is Jason Oway one because I love the comp of Daniil Hunter who just completely grew his game and is one of the more dominant pass rushers in the NFL and then also I know some people harp about the fact well he didn't have any sacks last season things like that but I'm, I'm one of those people and, and, and I get it, you know, obviously people want to see numbers. For me, though, it's kind of the Jadavian Clowney argument. Yeah, he doesn't get a lot of sacks, but if you have someone that can, one, play the run well and can be disruptive and cause quarterback pressure, and, you know, based off his size, he's 6'5", 250, if he has that ability to, you know, slide inside and, and win with speed versus a slower interior offensive lineman, he really can play that Jadavian Clowney role after next season. Uh, okay. Um, Jason Owe. Uh, I, I've seen the Daniel uh, Hunter comparison. I think it's interesting. Uh, the only problem I have with this is Daniel Hunter went to the third round, um, which makes that a really easy sort of uh, gamble to take. I think that's a much more difficult sell in the first round. And I still have a really difficult time seeing the GM who's going to go up there and have that press conference in the first round going, we took an edge rusher 
And the first, I can I can see Tony Grossi already asking a question. You took a pass rusher with as many sacks as Baker Mayfield. Um, you know that like that type of thing can can be difficult. So I I, I get it. I, I just to me I think part of what sets potential is production in college, and he doesn't have it. Um, so in that sense, I don't love Jason Oway. I, I do think you hit it on the head with the first one. I think Quiddy Pay is the wet dream of this team. Uh, and it's weird because that's where I started this whole draft process on. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of where I'm going to end up with. Uh, I, I, I hate the fact that Quiddy Pay lost weight to, to test because I love him at 280. Uh, I, you know, I, I understand why he did it. I get it. You know, 261, you're trying to make sure that everybody knows you're an edge rusher and you want to test well. Um, but for what the Browns want to do, I would love him to be back up at 270, maybe 275 and do all those things he did in Michigan because the stuff he did in Michigan is exactly what the Browns want. He can play edge and then he can kick inside and rush from there. And he's just a, just a, just an incredible athlete in that regard. Uh, and, and, and he's got his own, you know, production issues. They're not as bad as OA, which is none, but he's not like he didn't produce at a super high level. Uh, but to me, I think he's sort of the dream guy to fit this. Uh, so my second guys is, is uh, Joseph. But before you go to Osai, um, my question with Pay is, do you think you can get him without moving up in the first round? That's really my biggest issue. Like, because when I look at Minnesota, I feel like if anyone is the first one to take somebody at the edge position, it's going to be them. I think at like at eighteen or sixteen, I, I don't think you you can get Pay without moving up in the first round. No, I don't think Pay will, Pay will be there. Uh, but you know, this is if I'm setting my board. You know, that's that's where I'm putting pay, uh, you know, and if if he's there, he's there. Uh, I don't expect him to be. So that's when I go to Joseph Osai. And this is the thing with Osai. I, I get it that he didn't test agility. And I, I, I see the questions. He's not a guy who can like turn sideways as he almost, you know, rubs his knee on the ground, getting around the corner like Miles Garrett can. But he's an elite athlete who has never missed a game in college and he does everything J- you know Jason Owe does except he was good in college at producing which is sort of like the, where I, where I get into a thing with you know this, this what are we basing potential on you know Osai has given you re- you know he's an elite athlete again he didn't test agility uh, that's a, a real criticism you can make but in terms of producing he just finds ways to get to the ball and he did it against good competition like Tevin Jenkins. And yes, that tape is very uh, uneven as he had three sacks and like seven tackles for loss in that game. And there are plays where Tevin Jenkins throws him like a tumbleweed uh, and those are fair. But if you're asking me like, who is the guy that I'm betting on between Osai and Owe, the data would say bet on oh, uh, Osai, and I love how Osai plays the game. He's just, uh, you know, he gives you 100% every play, and he's on the field a ton. He, like, never comes off the field. And he has true versatility as opposed to, you know, perceived versatility like a guy like Zayvon Collins. Joseph Osai was a full-time off-ball linebacker who became a full-time edge. 
Um, he can actually do both of those things. Now, I'm not saying he should do that, but I, he's a guy where I think he's only going to get bigger. Uh, he's, you know, he turned 21 last week. Um, and, you know, he's the guy I bet on in terms of just that nonstop refuses to lose attitude. So I'm big on him. The third guy um, that, that for me is Peyton Turner. Um, I you know, I, again, this comes back to that sort of combo edge defensive end thing. And some of this is going to come down to, you know, I, I think the Browns actually do really like Aziz Olujari. Uh, reportedly, that's the case. Um, and it comes down to, I think they're going to break it down into two sort of categories. You know, the, the guys that are like Jadevi and Clowney in terms of like that inside outside versatility, like Malik Jackson, you know, Quiddy Pay, Peyton Turner, you know, Gregory Rousseau are in that category. And then they have that pure, you know, edge, edge guy, which at least for the moment, Oa and, and, and Osai are in, they could potentially be, you know, bigger later. Ojolari is certainly in that group, uh, basically in the tack role. Uh, I, I, you know, I have no doubt that they're going to be open to that as a real possibility for the same reason that they want to get, that bigger guy, Ojolari, and or I should say, Tech McKinley's on a one-year deal just like Clowney is. And, you know, I'm not sure what we're basing him being good on. Uh, I, I certainly like the fit. I like what he can be, but they also it also needs to happen for him. Uh, so that may be part of this where you're sort of hedging against what McKinley's going to be able to do for you in addition to potentially then replacing him. So, Peyton Turner is in that bigger mold out of Houston. Didn't play a ton. He only played five games this past year, but he's phenomenal in terms of his agility and balance uh, and his, his range as a, as a defensive end. Uh, I think he's a guy that could potentially be at that 59th pick. He may go earlier than that. He didn't test his 40 or his broad jump because of turf toe. His agility was out of this world on tape. My issue with him is consistently pad level. He, you know, he, he, there are so many times where he just rises up and exposes his chest or he's trying to run around a guy and he makes it easy for them to sort of, you know, push him past the play. But in terms of like the things the Browns seem to really want out of this, he's got super long arms over 35 inches. He's 270 pounds or so. You know, six five. He's got that length that they seem to really want for that position, and he has experience playing on the inside too. Uh, he's very quick and can do all these different things. Uh, he, he needs more refinement, and, and the competition he faced wasn't great. But he's young enough uh, that I think he fits in that range. So, you know, if the Browns are able to sort of land what I, I think they hope to do and land a corner in the first round then I think Peyton Turner, that 59th pick, if, if he even lasts that long, they may have to move up and get him. Uh, that may be a consideration. That may be like the guy that they love. Assuming I'm, you know, assuming I'm not dead wrong on Osai and he's not sitting there in round two, which I'd be perfectly happy with too, since there are plenty of people who think he's more of a second round guy. Uh, I just love the way he plays and, and would bet on him to be super successful, particularly in this uh, defense. But yeah, uh, it, the, the guy that, you know, we both have number one, I think is absolutely the guy the Browns would want, but neither of us believe he's going to be there. 
Yeah, um, I had Peyton Turner as a round two prospect. I mean, at 6'6", 270, 35-plus-inch uh, arms, those are great physical traits to have, especially when you want someone to kick inside. Someone I had for the third round was Joe Tryon out of Washington. Uh, he, he's around the same size, 6'5", 262. Uh, he's athletic, rangy. Only thing is, you know, he's only had one year as a starter, so that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. But, again, with them having those two picks, um, in the third round, they have that flexibility to move up. And then, so really, I would say the biggest question mark of all the edge rushers throughout this draft and someone I feel is going to be consistently talked about throughout the uh, first day is Jalen Phillips out of Miami. I mean, 6'5", 266. He's a good pass rusher. He has all the tools, but obviously the injury history, you know, with the concussions that he had back at UCLA where they basically forced him to uh, retire early. Uh, you know, basically because of medical issues. I feel like it's kind of that same situation. Obviously, the injury history is different. Um, but when you look at Jeffrey, uh, or is it Jeffrey Simmons or Justin Simmons? I think it's Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle that's on the Tennessee Titans uh, when he was coming out of Mississippi State. He had that ACL injury. And basically up to that point of the draft, all they were ever talking about is his ability as a player, he's a top 10 talent. If he wasn't injured, he would have been within the top 10, potentially a top five based off of talent and production alone, things like that. And then he slid all the way to the second round because he tore his ACL during a bowl game right at the end of the season, obviously, which didn't help his draft stock. But when you look at the situation like that, where I feel Jeffrey Simmons is one of the better defensive tackles in the league, um, you know, based off of what he offers, um, Jalen Phillips is a player that has a ton of ability. He's he's shown production and he really I feel like he fits into the mode of what the Browns want in terms of an edge that can kick into the interior, because not only are you entering this draft of, OK, these are the positions of need that I have, but also how do we find the best value and to give us players that fit the scheme we want to run down the line? Because a lot of these signings that we've had so far on defense, um, either it be this year or last year, are only one-year deals. So, I mean, if you can get a player that can be in the same mode and role as Jadavian Clowney for the next three, four years and barely have to pay him anything, that's great. Um, in terms of if you want to find interior defensive linemen, if you need to find someone closer to a nose like Andrew Billings, players that are on the defensive line with one-year contracts – I feel like those are the type of players you want to find someone that is younger, has some production, and can fill a similar role later down the line so you're not pigeonholed into playing someone that you have basically on a one-year prove-it deal. Right. So Jalen Phillips is the most complicated issue in the draft only because the questions that he's going to be asked, we can't possibly know the answers to. Um you know, Jim Moore Jr., who coached him at UCLA, said that, you know, the, the medical retirement was partly concussions, but also partly unrelated uh, outside stuff. Um, you know, he, he, he did produce music for a little while, which will immediately terrify a large segment of Brown's fandom. Chad Thomas. Uh, yes. And from the same school, no less. Um, his tape is very impressive. Uh, I actually like Rousseau's better on tape. Um, but, you know, he, he tested so much better than Rousseau did. Um, so, you know, that's the thing. Like, 
you know, Mora, Mora argues that, you know, the fire has sort of been relit and he, you know, he's outstanding this past year. And if you believe that and the Browns are going to, as, as is every other team going to have to come up with answers for that. Um, then sure. He enters the conversation. Um, just, you know, without knowing, I, I'm not going to assume it's you know, the answer that I want. Uh, so maybe uh, they, they're going to be happy with it. Uh, you know, so much of this comes down to what motivates you. Um, you know, was he, what was the outside stuff that like troubling enough from a, you know, it doesn't mean you need to have to be like mischief or anything. It could just be real life stuff happening in his life that would, you know, detract, you know, the joy he gets from playing football or whatever. Um, does he now have that, that thing where he wants to be great at whatever he's doing? Like everybody knocks guys for having outside interests. I don't care. Joe Thomas and Miles Garrett have tons of them and they were, they're both going to end up in the hall of fame. It's entirely a question of what motivates you. Both those guys have that thing where if they're going to do something, they want to be great at it. If Jalen Phillips has that, it makes it far easier to believe in him. So we'll see. Uh, he's, he's talented. I don't know if he's a guy that I'd really want on the inside, uh, but it's possible. So, you know, we'll see. I, I don't dislike him. You know, if they take him, I'm going to assume that they're comfortable with him and they've gotten better at, uh, uh, keep, you know, they're going to have some sense that they believe he's going to be that dude in a way that, you know, pre some of the guys that, that other people in this organization have drafted aren't. Right. Um, so before we move on from the edge position, who's your favorite day three prospect for the Browns at edge day three prospect for the Browns at edge. This is tough because the guy I would peg for the third round is getting targeted, like talked about earlier than that. So like I am in very intrigued by Janarius Robinson from Florida state. Um, I, I liked him when I saw him last year uh, against uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, he just sort of jumped out at me in the way he played, the effort he brought, um, and all those things, which, you know, it was impressive. And he didn't really pop in terms of production, but he's a freaky athlete. Uh, and he absolutely can play on the inside. In fact, he might be better there because of the way he is athletically, very explosive disruptor in that regard. So he might be perfect for that type of situation. Again, I have some people ranking him where they're talking about him as a, you know, a day two guy. I don't see that in him, but, you know, day three, I think he could be an interesting project that fits what the Browns want to do. Yeah. So moving on to cornerback, uh, which is likely the Browns biggest need on a uh, second biggest need on defense. When you look at the corners they currently have on the roster, you have Denzel Ward, uh, Grady Williams is Troy Hill. That's pretty much your, I would say, go to top three corners. Now, there may be a question of who's going to be that cornerback number two. Rather, it's going to be Troy Hill or Greedy Williams. Um, there's still some questions on the health of Greedy Williams. Uh, there was the press conference that Kevin Stefanski spoke on early in the week where he talked about Greedy and his um, progress of healing from the injury and, you know, obviously trying to fight back to getting on the field and, you know, rehabbing that shoulder as much as possible. 
But, you know, going based off the tape that he had his rookie season and not paying playing his second year, there's still a, a really a question of, you know, what are you going to get from him? Uh, obviously, the value of Troy Hill coming over through free agency is huge because of the versatility he provides being able to play either in the slot or on the outside. But just given his size, obviously, you would want another boundary corner um, just because the depth after those three isn't really ideal. You know, they have A.J. Green, who signed as an undrafted free agent last year. Uh, you really didn't see any of anything from him at all last year. Now, they certainly have some belief in him uh, as they protected him on the practice squad, you know, multiple times throughout the season last year. And then Robert Jackson, who's more of a special teams guy, and then MJ Stewart, you know, I would say he's more of a, of a slot, probably really more of a dime corner. So when I look at corner in the first round, I would say J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain are already off the board. So if I'm picking between Caleb Farley and Greg Newsom as potentially your two first-round corners that would ideally fit with the Browns' need, um, personally, I wouldn't mind taking a shot at Caleb Farley. Um, I know that the back surgery kind of scares some people off, but you know, prior to that news and that information, he was arguably everyone's number one corner on the board. You know, before that, you know, that back surgery and obviously some of the injury issues that he's had previously. But at 6'2", 207, I mean, that's the perfect traits that you want to see for an outside corner. He can play man. He can play zone. He has really good closing speed. And in a situation that it takes him a little bit longer to come back from that back surgery, you're not necessarily too pressed where you have to play him, you know, immediately because he's your first round pick. If you're going to be running potentially, you know, three safeties with a bigger, um, you know, a bigger defensive back package where you have Ronnie Harrison, John Johnson, and Grant Dale Pitt, you can slowly work him into it and really see what you have out of Greedy Williams. Um, and if you don't like what you see out of Greedy, you can use Troy Hill until he's ready to come back. You don't have to rush him. Uh, Greedy Williams. Uh, look, Greedy Williams is sort of in this weird spot in that he's really valuable to the Browns and the fact that he's got two years left on his rookie deal, like that is undoubtedly very valuable to them. Um, you know, he, he, whatever you want to say about his availability and the fact that he's basically missed, you know, basically 70% of his career uh, to this point, he's a tall kid who can run and cover at least a little bit, or at least that's the belief that he coming out of college that you evaluated him that he could do that. And he's cost you nothing for two years. Even if you don't sign him after that, he costs nothing for two years. So he's valuable. Um, he gives you the length that no one else does other than basically Robert Jackson and Brian Allen, who you do not want on the field. Um, so it's interesting from that standpoint, uh, you know, he's going to compete. Uh, he's going to compete for a job, uh, you know, for that starting corner job with whoever they draft, if they draft somebody early to, to do that. Um, so I do think the Browns would like to get some more length from that position. Uh, you mentioned it. I, I would be stunned if, if Sertan or J.C. Horn, uh, 12 is where I think they're both going to be off the board. And so any dreams of trading up are gone. Um, so to me, I think Greg Newsom becomes the guy that the Browns would love to get, um, not only because he's long and a pretty good corner, but he also has played in a defense that's sort of conducive to what the Browns have been asking their DBs to do. Uh, top down, you know, he's playing man coverage, 
some zone stuff, but for the most part, he's, he's keeping the guy in front of him and, and then trying to uh, play downhill. He's got super long arms and he's really flexible in, in terms of his ability to sort of reach in the way Joe Hayden did when he was with the Browns and just sort of find a way to poke the ball out, uh, which is intriguing. Uh, he, he's, he needs to get a little bit more strength in him, um, which, which could be an er, er, issue early with some more physical receivers, but he's a guy who gives you some opportunities to uh, cover bigger guys down the field. And obviously competing with Greedy Williams, you're going to have two uh, tall corners with, with enough speed to do that. Uh, you know, he may not last. Um, so, you know, Caleb Farley is very talented. His tape from his sophomore year is unbelievable. He makes it look so easy. Uh, and, and the way he plays is like effortless. Uh, but he's got an ACL from his freshman year, true freshman year. And, and maybe his knee's fine. They'll obviously check that he's got the back. Um, so there are some questions with him. Uh, if, if you just watch him on film, if you're just saying, I know nothing else, but his film, he's arguably the best, in the, he's best, best guy in the draft. Uh, just in the way he shuts people down. He's tremendous. Uh, and you watch him like against the Miami hurricanes, his, his junior year. And he catches two interceptions on out routes where the, the ball is coming out almost before the receiver makes the cut. And he's still, closing out, making the interception. He's just his, you can fall in love watching his tape. Um, I'm intrigued by if you he's not a finished product, uh, but he's huge. Uh, and there is some value to that. And the way the Browns can sort of hide him with their defense uh, sort of provides some value. He is fantastic playing the deep ball. He doesn't get beat deep. He is more likely to get beat on some nickel and dime type stuff, uh, but he will come up and make a tackle uh, on that to sort of reduce the bleeding from that standpoint. Uh, he guesses with his hips too much for my liking is something he needs to correct, but he's, you know, he, he's got freakish ability in terms of his a- athletic traits and all those things. So he's a project that could be very easy for the Browns to like the guy I love um, you know, in that second round area, if the Browns take a non, you know, non corner in that first round, if he's there, and I don't know if he will be the kid I absolutely love is Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Uh, his hips are incredible for somebody as tall as he is, and he can go get the football. I love guy. You know, so much of the evolution of defense isn't so much about stops. It's about takeaways and he's a guy who forces takeaways and he gets beat. He will, you know, he didn't play this past year. He opted out, um, but he competes. He will get, he, you know, he's been beaten on some double moves. He'll, he'll get lost occasionally in coverage, but he competes and he makes plays on the ball. Um, you know, he, he's got it, some work to do in terms of just being more consistent. He, he but in some ways you, you sort of know what you're getting. He's a gambler. Uh, in that regard. And I think with the way the Browns are playing defense, they may love that. Like Joe Woods, who's, you know, much, most of his background is dealing with DBs may see a guy like Boston Adebo with freaky agility, great speed, and be like, I can work with this guy and try to get figured out and sort of live with, or at least try to reduce some of the, 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 the risk and get more of the reward out of him. But he fascinates me. Uh, they're, they're, He's all over the board 
with where people have him ranked, but I, he fascinates me uh, as do many of these PAC 12 guys uh, in their very weird season where, the, you know, they, they waited the longest before they decided they were playing, not because they, they just wanted to wait, but because the situation was so bad there between not only the pandemic, but wildfires, you have so many of these guys that opted out. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Joe Tryon, like you have him exactly where I have him, which is the third round. And yet, there are people who are really smart about the stuff who don't think he's going to get up, you know, get to the 40th pick. I don't see it. I, I certainly recognize his athleticism and his production, but just watching him on tape, I'm sort of like, you know, waiting for it to be wowed and it, it's not there, but that's sort of the mystery with these PAC 12 guys that opted out is some of them are supremely talented and they're the guys who could suffer the most from not having the season. Debo could be the guy who loses the most by not having played because he was dominant as a sophomore in 2018 and he was not as good in 2019. Uh, and there was some feeling that, you know, 2020 was going to be this opportunity for him to have this big rebound year and, and he announced himself to be back as one of the top, top corners in this class. So there's a potential for a value to be had there. And, and the Browns, again, maybe the team that sort of loves what he can be and, and takes that chance with him. Yeah. And when you look at the cornerback group, there's, of course, that player that's a question mark where we don't really know exactly where this player is going to land. And similar to Jalen Phillips in the edge group, you see Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State, where he's someone that, you know, is rumored could slide into the first round. Maybe he's an early second round pick. Now, the situation with him, you know, he's only 5'9", you know, a buck 84. And he has the versatility to play outside, but he's ideally suited to play in the slot. So now in that situation, if you do draft, you know, Samuel, say if he slides, you know, um, in the second round further than what you expect and you like him based off of whether the prospects are already off of the board and how everything else is falling in that situation. If you do get Asante Samuel Jr., now you're probably looking at Troy Hill and Greedy Williams as two players that really have to fight for that cornerback two role. And I mean, just based off of what have you done for me recently? it's likely going to be Troy Hill in that situation, but you're also going to sacrifice, um, I would say a lot of size, um, namely on the outside. If you do draft Asante Samuel, just because you would ideally want a five, nine corner playing in the slot in terms of someone that I also think could intrigue, uh, the Browns defense is Eric Stokes out of Georgia. I mean, six, one, one And, you know, we all know Georgia corners, some have been hit or miss, namely DeAndre Baker. Um, well, I mean, well, just, <laughs> his hit my, or miss may may or may not have anything to do with his actual football ability, right? <laughs> um, so for me, the thing I like about Georgia cornerbacks is that they're physical from the time you know they enter the NFL because of the style of defense that the Georgia defensive backs play, which is aggressive. You know, they play man coverage, and uh, I mean the guy. He's a former track runner, you know, he's a runner, he's a track star. But, um, you know, Eric Stokes is a guy that offers speed f around 4-3-40. And I think that's something that you can find value in, in potentially the third round, when you just think of the type of matchups that he can provide for you. Obviously, you know, Denzel Ward is your number one corner and you want to use him, you know, on the best matchup possible. But if you have that flexibility to say, put Stokes on Marquise Brown, or someone like Miko Hardman, I would say Tyreek Hill, 
on a very specific type of coverage where you have someone shadowing him, but he has enough speed to keep up with, you know, those smaller shifty corners. And I think that could be an asset that you would want to utilize in some form or fashion if you do have to get a third round corner. Yeah. Um, you know, he's fast and that's, he's tall and he can run, you know, and in some level that's feels like something they're, they're absolutely going to want. So yeah, it's interesting uh, with him. I, I'm not as big of a fan. I think the technique is there. Um, I, that he, He's been productive, but it, he's been sort of inconsistent. I, I don't love either Georgia corner, to be honest, but I like him better than I like Campbell. Um, so he's interesting. I, you know, when, when you get to that, I don't know if the Browns are prepared to wait that long. And a guy like Stokes may go earlier because he is that fast and is that tall. Um, uh, that'll be interesting to see how they approach it. So, yeah, I, I'm, I, 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 I totally understand why the Browns or anyone would sit there and go, yeah, I like this kid, 6'1 and 4'3 and speed. Uh, can he sort of be a more consistent player at the, at the next level? But if the Browns have a really good secondary – may not need to be, you know, it doesn't, they don't need necessarily need to be, you know, obviously that'd be great if they can get another dominant corner, but they don't necessarily need a, a superhero over there to, to, to get the job done with what they're trying to do right now. Yeah. So when you, I'd say, look at the back end, um, if there's a position that I believe they will double dip in, if there's like limited trades, which is highly unlikely, but in the situation, you know, they make, seven, eight picks if they do double dip. I think corner would be that position. Um, is there anyone on day three, around maybe, maybe like round four, um, that you have in mind for the Browns defense? Yeah, there's a number of guys. But the one that stands out, and, and part of it is because the Browns have had him for a visit, is Darren Hall from San Diego State. Um, has all the things that I look for in a prospect. He's super young, productive. Uh, he's got – decent size. Uh, he, he, he's not afraid to come up and make a tackle. He's aggressive playing the football competitive. Um, the only thing that really hurts Darren Hall is that he is relatively short. Like he doesn't have much length. He's got short arms. He's like five eleven, So he's not a small guy, but he doesn't really sort of offer you that much extension as a player. He's just a good competitive player with great athletic traits. Um, so you know, the, the, the fact that these things all popped with him and the Browns, you know, made the effort to, to, to talk to him at least stands out. Uh, I, I think um, Zach McPherson from Texas tech um, is a guy that's interesting. Um, Mike Krupka, that has been his boy for a very, very long time. Um, so he, he's, he's put together a really nice profile, sort of a late day guy, the one guy that's sort of like in this mid range that I find intriguing, despite the fact he shrunk basically like three inches is Robert Rochelle, um, central Arkansas, very athletic, he's freaky athletic traits, but he's incredibly raw. So he's somebody that needs significant development, but I, since I think the Browns need to take two corners in this draft, regardless of how many picks they have that they can do something like that. They can go get somebody early and, and bring in another guy. Um, I also wouldn't put it past them to take a safety that can sort of double as a slot corner uh, to, to provide depth there. I think 
Um, they need to overhaul uh, the secondary in that regard. Obviously, they let Terrence Mitchell go. He's, you know, he's in Houston. Uh, but right now, like you have Terrence Mitchell, I'm sorry, you have Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward has been in the league three seasons. He's never played more than 13 games in a regular season. Uh, and Greedy Williams has obviously missed a ton of time. So I think you're going to need more than one body. Um, and if right this second, if you know, it, with who they have right there and your starters are going to be Ward, Hill in the slot, and Greedy Williams on the boundary, if one of those guys gets hurt, your next man up is like who? Robert Jackson? You know, is it? Is it are we going to go to AJ Green? Is it going to be? you know, MJ Stewart, like they don't have anything that you can really bank on. And I think that's where it's really prudent for them to invest a lot. This is their sort of opportunity for Joe Woods to really put a stamp on what he wants in the secondary. They've already committed a lot of assets in that thing. And in that, in that vein, and I think this is going to be where they keep going with it. Yeah. I think that would be the most ideal plan in terms of them um, being able to grow that group. Um, so if I feel like there's one last position, you know, obviously there's going to be certain players in terms of linebacker or safety that could potentially go, you know, just based off of how the board falls. But I feel like if I feel like there's a third position group to take or look at in the first round is wide receiver. So I, I know one guy for you is Rashad Bateman um, from Minnesota. I'll let you talk about him um, in terms of someone that interests me. And I would say, ideally, I would like him better at the top of the second round more than taking him at 26 um, in a situation, say if the board doesn't fall the way you want it to, you trade back from 26 into the top of the second round, and you can grab someone like Terrace Marshall um, out of LSU. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. Um, basically, I would say he's your traditional outside Z receiver. So in the situation, once you move off of either Odell Beckham or Jarvis Landry, um, I feel Terrace Marshall is a nice complimentary piece to however you want to build that offense just because he offers versatility in the slot and on the outside. You know, he has good running and he really took a step forward in the situation where you look at Jamar Chase was there uh, two seasons ago, who's arguably, arguably going to be the number one receiver taken. Um, off the board then you have uh, Justin Jefferson you know who's no longer there and he's now become the number one receiver for the LSU offense and he finds the ability to flourish and when you have someone that's given more opportunities and they take advantage of it I feel like that's something that you have to hold in you know into higher regard now yes he is on the bottom end of the receiver group but a lot of the receiver talents that's available in the first round or people that's going to go you look at like Kadarius Tony or someone like that are really slot guys um because if you're not grabbing um Jamar Chase Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle you're really looking at someone that's gonna be playing in a similar role and not necessarily in terms of you know athletic ability of when I say Jarvis Landry but someone that's gonna be working in the underneath the intermediate parts of the field you already have that in Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins you don't need you know duplicate and redundant receivers you want somebody on the outside that can play outside the numbers as well and provide you know value after this season and i feel terrace marshall is one of them and 
What are your thoughts when it comes to Rashad Bateman? Well, Bateman uh, it was arguably as dominant as anybody last year as a junior uh, when they had uh, a, another terrific receiver alongside him who managed to fall all the way to the sixth round, which I still don't, which still amazes me because I loved him too. Uh, you sort of have proof of concept already in, in, in that. Uh, so Bateman has an unbelievable junior season. He shows you everything you could possibly want from him. Speed, uh, the ability to separate, create after the catch, uh, just outstanding player, super young, just prolific in terms of production. He comes back this year. He has COVID, loses weight, loses a little bit of explosiveness. So I think some people are watching this year's tape and sort of not getting a, a, a proper sort of read on him. So in that respect, he's outstanding. And I don't think he takes a backseat to anyone in this class from that standpoint. Uh, I think you can plug him in at X um, for the foreseeable future if they, if they were to pick him. Uh, it, you know, unfortunate that he shrunk, um, you know, listed 6'2", 210, measured six foot, basically 190. Um, so he's not as big as you would have hoped. However, it's worth pointing out that his arms are very long, which can make up for some of that lack of height. He, he does have a little bit more range in that regard. Um, next guy up for me, Elijah Moore. Love him. Uh, he's everything people love about Jarvis Landry. Elijah Moore does, and he runs fast. Um, he, uh, the, the SEC was so full of playmakers with the Bama guys and, and Marshall and, and talking about the guy, you know, the other players from LSU, Elijah Moore was like as good as anybody um, at Ole Miss and Ole Miss stunk, uh, but he was prolific and everybody knew where the ball was going and they still couldn't stop him. Um, he torched Florida. He torched Alabama, basically anybody he was put up against. He was great. And yes, there are manufactured touches in the offense there. You know, Lane Kiffin, finds ways to get him the ball and all these other things. He did the exact same thing with Harrison Bryant when he was at Florida Atlantic and the Browns drafted him in the fourth round. Elijah Moore, you know, people are going to tab him as a slot receiver. When you run double tight ends, you can put Elijah Moore wherever the hell you want. You put him outside, you can motion him there. Uh, since he's not on, line, on the line, it doesn't matter. So he can play anywhere. And, you know, credit to Lane Kiffin, he showed you everything you could possibly want out of this kid. And I think – Based on what I've seen, the amount of positions and everything Elijah Moore was able to do so effortlessly at Ole Miss suggests he's a really smart guy. I know a lot of people still are not, you know, still look at him as the kid who, you know, did the the mock celebration that got his other coach fired. Uh, but you know, he's 21, barely just now. Uh, he, you know, he's maybe he's a little immature, but I think he's a really bright kid. Production-wise, outstanding. He's shorter than, you know, he's 5'9", but he's really strong, excellent balance, fearless over the middle. Like I said, he does a lot of the things that people love about Landry. Uh, his hands are tremendous, but he has a more, more of a downfield component and speed. So uh, it's easy for me to sort of imagine him catching a slant or something quick from Baker Mayfield and taking it a long, long way. And the third guy I love, um, which I think Kevin Stefanski secretly loves, or maybe not so secretly, is Rondell Moore from Purdue. Uh, Rondell Moore is 5'8", or, five, or he's 5'7", 180 pounds. 
He's a tank. He just happens to be a very small tank. So like you can say he's like, uh, what's his face from, uh, who came out of West Virginia, Davon Austin. Um, but Rondell Moore is so much thicker than Austin was uh, coming out of West Virginia. He's super strong. Uh, he's physical. In addition to having extremely uh, incredible explosion, just raw speed, he can make guys miss, just a, a terrific football player. And I don't think Kevin Stefanski is afraid to take somebody that small. Uh, I think so much, you know, if they take a receiver, they're going to pick somebody fast. They just are clearly. That's something that this offense needs more of. That's something they want. Uh, and, and Rondell Moore is five, seven. He makes very, very small target, which isn't, you know, the greatest thing in the world when you're trying to go downfield, you know, guys like having these big targets with the, this room for error, but he's so much faster than everybody else. He can create separation. And in a lot of ways, you know, I remember when, when John Dorsey was the GM of this team, everybody was like, well, he's going to try to find the next Tyree kill. Are we sure that's not what Rondell Moore is going to be? Uh, you know, there's some health questions. He, he hurt his hamstring uh, last year, missed a bunch of time, did, you know, missed the first three games of this year. But man, when he's on the field, he's electric. Young has all, you know, prolific again, tremendous production. And, and I think he may have suffered somewhat from the fact that Purdue wasn't sort of as creative as a, as a team like Ole Miss was. And I think, you know, whether it's just handing the ball on a jet sweep, which the Browns did to J.J. Natson of all people at 5'7", like 160 pounds, I think he can look at a guy like Rondale Moore, hand him the ball, you know, throw quick screens. Like they, uh, I think he likes that joker position. When he was with the Vikings, they had it in Cordero Patterson. He was not a refined receiver at all, but occasionally they would just turn and throw him the ball and say, go do stuff. And he would do stuff. I think Rondale Moore can do that type of thing. In addition to the fact that, you know, in an offense where teams are having to stop Odell Beckham and our tight ends and Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry and all these other players, all these threats. And all of a sudden you're, you're sort of left there going, how the hell are we going to deal with Rondale Moore too? that there's so many opportunities for explosive plays and instant offense and the way the NFL is being spread out and Kevin Stefanski's really good at finding holes or manipulating holes in the defense that he can find ways to make a kid like Rondell Moore just absolutely dominate uh, in a way that, that just creates instant offense and really just adds that missing component for this group. Yeah. I've haven't really been in the boat of, really want to get a receiver under six foot and that's what you see a lot out of i would say outside of the top four i would say bateman is that fourth receiver um after the obvious top three um for me i just feel like the browns still just lack some size on the outside yes they do have donovan people's jones but he's not necessarily a straight burner on the outside which i think they need um but for me just again when i'm looking at the overall approach that I think the Browns and Andrew Barry is going to have to this draft. I was looking more, you know, potentially at the end of the second round, early third round, uh, you know, options. You look at Deyami Brown out of North Carolina. He's six one one eighty five. He's a vertical threat on the outside. And he's someone that majority of his production is coming down the field. And, I feel like that's one of the few things that was lacking, you know, with the Browns offense last season. 
there were moments where Donovan Peoples-Jones will make some catches out of the numbers. Obviously, you want to see him grow more into that role of being that big body X receiver that can make plays outside of the number. And of course, uh, Rashard Higgins does a good deal of damage in the intermediate parts and taking advantage of um, his opportunities from the slot and to make plays down the field. The thing I like about Diami Brown is one, he has the speed. And then also too, when he was in college, he averaged 17 air yards per attempt. So that, I mean, that alone is showing you that the coaching staff at UNC understood okay this kid has speed he has the ability to win on the outside we're going to send him vertically to you know make up for that um another person i see in the third round really towards the browns normal picks of 89 and 91 is like josh palmer out of tennessee he's 6'2 210 uh now he didn't have necessarily you know game breaking production but he's one of those players that took advantage of his opportunities at the senior bowl he had the highest win rate of all the receivers on the outside during the senior bowl and when you look at the fact that it was a while ago but um larry Joby, he came from charlotte which was a smaller school and what he showed at the senior bowl and the traits that he offers based off what the browns need um that made him an obvious pick for them in the fourth round and was someone that i believe that they were going to draft so someone like Josh Palmer, again, they have that size for me. You know, I would say Rashad Bateman is really the minimum of what I would want to see in terms of, you know, uh, height and speed. I mean, height and weight. But as you were saying with uh, Rondell Moore, you know, that's someone that when you have the ability to naturally create offense, that's a... I would say a value that's hard to duplicate where you can just literally just give someone a screen or a jet sweep and they can give you 12, 15 yards. And I mean, when you look at Odell Beckham, that's a he's a great example. The Dallas game. At the end of the day, when you have a player, when they can make big plays with the ball in their hand and it's not just, okay, I have to be this excellent route runner in order to get separation. When you can just use your athletic ability with the ball in your hands, that's a, a very good um, skill set to have for your offense. And, you know, Maybe someone fourth round, I would say, is like Tutu Atwell, uh, who's one of the fastest receivers. Uh, I mean, he's 5'9", 165, straight burner. The guy runs a 4'2", sub 4'3", and that's potentially some value you could find, you know, potentially day three. Okay. How tall are you, Sean? I am 6'2". Yep. See, this is what I, I knew it. Heightest. Uh, <laughs> so... You not only are you unwilling to give Asante Samuel his full five ten, but you, you want more height. My question is why what why isn't tight end height enough? And that's where I think, you know, I think that's why the Browns can afford to be small with their other receivers, is because they have that ability to sort of manipulate those matchups uh with David Njoku, with Austin Hooper, with uh Harrison Bryant that you know, they have those and Donovan Peoples-Jones that I'm not concerned about. How, now, I do love De'Ami Brown. He's very, very good. Um, not only does he win over the top and he, you know, he, there are some drops with him, but man, he has some competitiveness where he goes up and just snatches the ball out of the air. But he also has the ability to take a slant and and just go. Uh, like, he, he's really impressive after the catch. But uh, you're, uh, you probably didn't like Baker Mayfield coming out. Whoa, whoa. I, I'm not saying there's anything with being small. For me, 
I would say the reason why I have that highest opinion when it comes to receiver is because of the intangible of being able to really make contested catches on the outside. Now, someone that's 5'9", you know, 5'10", not able to make plays outside numbers, I'm not saying that at all. But if there's a situation where you have to just, you know, you have to throw a ball up and you need someone to make a play, I would rather have a guy that's 6'1", 6'2", trying to make a contested catch on the outside versus someone that's 5'9". When you use the example of like Tavon Austin, Tavon Austin was outstanding at West Virginia. But once he got to, I mean, it did suck. He went to the Rams and Jeff Fisher wasn't the person you want to be playing underneath if you just want to go eight and eight, of course. But that that size, if you don't have, you know, dynamite speed like Tariq Hill, is a disadvantage for you. Like, yes, there's going to be corners around your size as well. But if you're talking about a jump ball situation, which you're going to see more out of receivers than any other position, I want a guy with a little bit more size. And yes, we do have size at tight end. But we didn't really see it last year when they were making contested catches outside of the numbers. And the only person that really did make any contested catches was David Njoku. And those were either in the red zone or down the scene. Yeah. I mean, like in the playoff game against the Chiefs, he's up on the one catching the ball where his feet is even with the other guy's head. So if I'm throwing a jump ball, I'm throwing to him. Um, So that's where I'm sort of like meh i just want somebody good and fast i don't care you know if they happen to be tall great but you know that's why i'm perfectly happy with rondell moore uh at five seven or elijah elijah moore at five nine rashad bateman at six foot would be great uh diami moore at six foot would be great uh but uh you know the heightest stuff you know that's careful yeah i mean i'm i'm 100 percent with you where speed is more important than anything. If I'm getting someone that has enough speed, so like if I'm in a situation where if I have Terrace Marshall, Doami Brown, and like Rondell Moore somehow if he slides to the top of the second round, I'm going to take the guy that has the most speed because that's what's going to give me the most value now. But the reason why a lot of these receivers that I was picking, um, you know, in the second, third round area with more size is because for me, when I draft a receiver, I'm thinking of what's going to happen two, three years from now, where potentially, you know, I could be without both Odell and Jarvis Landry. You know, ideally, you only want to be without one. I mean, really, you want that person to be Jarvis Landry that you get rid of. But what if Rashard Higgins, you know, gets a better offer somewhere else? Now you're stuck with Donovan Peoples-Jones and potentially just Odell and really no one else you you know what I mean like I want to find as much value for two three years down the line when I know I'm going to be paying a pretty penny for Mayfield Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward and I might as well find good solid replacements and not have to go dip back in the draft again after I cut you know Jarvis Landry or Odell and then Higgins walks if that's the situation I I just uh Beyond the fact you're a rabid heightist, um, <laughs> I, I have no issue with the, being in a situation where the Browns are sitting there staring at Donovan Peoples Jones and Odell Beckham as your outside receivers. Like, that would be great. So, if I get you know, Rondell Moore and he's your, your new slot guy, or Elijah Moore and he's your new slot guy, like, I'm set. That's great. Uh, you know, because tight end isn't going anywhere. They're going to, you know, whether it's whether it's these, these guys or somebody else, I think they're always going to have that component. And I think that can cover up for a lot of your height issues. And, and, and again, you look at teams like the, the chiefs, you know, 
Travis Kelsey obviously is a superstar, but he's their height. They don't have anybody else who's tall. They just have guys who are fast. And I think when you have that component, it really frees you up to do whatever you want. And because you have the ability to go double tights and have a guy uh, motion uh, from the out to the outside or from the outside, that it sort of really frees you up to just get better athletes and be able to manipulate that space. I mean, you heard it here, folks. Speed over need. Uh, Pete Smith, 421-2021. So as we look at the next position, for me, um, I didn't really necessarily look at too many safety prospects for the top of the draft just because I don't feel that's where their value is best suited. So I would say um, looking at linebacker as really that next position that you could get in the first round, um, obviously, JOK is really the, I feel like it's the home run pick if you do draft a linebacker. Um, in the second round, I think Nick Bolton out of Mizzou, uh, he's six foot, 232, um, has one of the best instincts of the linebacker class. He's great in coverage. And then the other one I have for round two was Jabril Cox out of LSU. My only thing with him, though, is you're getting two players out of the same system, not that far apart in Jacob Phillips and Jabril Cox. And to me, I feel like that's slightly problematic just because you might have someone that has like a similar play mentality of how they approach things because they receive similar coaching. And, you know, that may not be a bad thing if they're both good players, but when I just look at the linebacker position, Anthony Walker's on a one year deal. Um, I hate to say this, and I I don't mean to be that person. I don't think Mac Wilson is going to be on the roster <laughs> this season. As much as I like the dude, I follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Like, I mean, he's a good dude, but you just don't fit. I'm sorry. Um, Sione Takitaki, he's your Sam. He's great in run coverage. Um, who knows if he's going to get a second contract or not, but I like what he does in the run game. And then really the biggest question mark is Jacob Phillips. If he's able to develop into that wheel that can run sideline to sideline, make tackles in the run game, prevent tight ends from doing whatever they want to in the middle of the field, and be able to just be decent in coverage, I feel like you're great. And then in that situation, if you're forcing your hand to get Jeremiah Owosu-Komura in the first round at 26, now you have two do-it-all linebackers that can run sideline to sideline, cover tight ends, you know, cover running backs out of the backfield, and you're set at a position where ideally you only want two on the field. Uh, so Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa is great. Uh, I expect for Notre Dame, they considered their line, their Rovers as a linebacker. Um, for the Browns, he's a safety. Um, if they're planning on playing three safeties, one of those is going to be a Rover, and that's the position you play. He might be a dime linebacker, but beyond that, he's a safety. Um he doesn't take on contact well in terms of blocks. You have to protect him, which, you know, again, the, the addition of Jadevian Clowney makes him potentially more valuable to the Browns. He's sort of a wild card. It doesn't seem like he's going to make it to the Browns, uh, but it's so hard to sort of put him somewhere. You know, there's talk that the Denver Broncos might like him. The Raiders might like him. The Dolphins might like him, but it's it, it just hard to sort of place him. So, if he's there, I could see it. But again, Rover. Other than that, Jamin Davis is the only guy that's worth even talking about to me. Um, and I don't want him in the first round. Uh, but he's the guy who has all the 
measurables, all the production and his tape, uh, particularly as a run defender is fantastic. Now he's barely done anything in coverage, but still of those guys you mentioned they're there, he's the best uh, Jabril Cox. I don't want him, but it is worth pointing out that he was an FCS transfer. So he wasn't in the same school or he wasn't with uh, Jacob Phillips when Jacob Phillips was still there. So he was only there this past year, but again, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want any linebacker uh, until day three at the earliest it, to me. And, and even then I'm not loving it. This linebacker class is not good at all. Um, the only guys that really stand out in terms of like data or guys like Derek Barnes at Purdue, who's okay. I don't think he plays as fast on tape. And the guy I actually really like is Buddy Johnson from Texas A&M. Uh, now he is, he is very small in terms of his sort of body. I think he's like six foot and like 230, and he's very narrow built. Uh, he's not as small, but he sort of reminds me of Sam Mills in terms of like how he's built relative to everybody else. Um, and he's really good going downhill uh, and winning at the point of attack. Um, you know, that's sort of where he's at his best. And I don't think you have to take him until, you know, maybe around six or seven. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this linebacker class stinks and I don't want any part of it. And I think the Browns are actually set there, relatively speaking. It's not to say you can't do better than um, Mac Wilson. I mean, anyone who's alive is potentially better. But uh, between Anthony Walker and, you know, Malcolm Smith and Sione Takitaki and Jacob Phelps, I think you have four guys that can sort of fill out what they need because they aren't going to try to play three safe, three linebackers. They're going to play two and a lot of times one. So, you know, I think you can find guys that can sort of fit what you need at that position, but they may try to get somebody late. Uh, but I think it's more likely undrafted free agents are in that mold uh, to try to turn your roster and get the special teams depth you need. Uh, but overall, like, I don't see many guys who, you know, come in and play. Um, which sort of defeats the purpose. Like, you know, what what did, what do the Browns need uh, from a linebacker who's not going to contribute this year? Uh, you know, because it's not a position they think is super important. So I'm inclined to sort of wait for a better year to pluck some guys from. Uh, so we'll see. But you know, just not it, like defensive tackle. It's not a good class for linebacker. Yeah, I feel like with linebacker. I mean, I said it earlier, but. To me, the biggest X factor is Jacob Phillips. If if the front office and the coaching staff believes in what Jacob Phillips can become, then I don't I don't think you're really in any rush to even take a linebacker day one or day two, just because he's really that player that you just you just need someone that can cover the tight ends and also play sideline to sideline. That's that's really the only thing that they're missing. Like you like you've talked about in previous episodes. The linebacker position is role-based. Everyone has a specific role. If you can do that at a similar level to what they got last year, the defense is, is going to be fine. Anthony Walker is going to be your thumper down the middle. Sione Takitaki is going to be your, is your strong side linebacker that plays near the line of scrimmage and run support. Malcolm Smith is your coverage guy. And then you just want Jacob Phillips to be that really do-it-all sideline-to-sideline backer. And if you can get that, I feel like that's perfect. And then you don't feel, you know, um, I don't want to say buyer's remorse because that's not the right term in this scenario. But basically, if you don't get anyone 
day one or day two, you're not necessarily, you know, feeling too bad if you get that jump from him that you hopefully can get in the second year. Um, so, I mean, this is something that you kind of talked about with with um, JLK and him being a rover. So when you look at the safety position, I feel you're really in two situations with them. Either you get a true free safety um, in the draft or you get someone that can play that rover type of role where you can come down, play in the box. If you need to, you can play cover two, um, high safety, and figure out ways to really scheme them up to either cover a tight end, cover someone in the slot, and really get the most value out of them. To me, I would aim for that around rounds three, maybe four. Um, I like Jamar Johnson out of Indiana in the third round. Um, he's six one, a little bit under two hundred pounds. One of the better coverage free safeties um, coming out of college. And then for me, that rover type role is Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech. He's six three, two twenty six. So uh, he's one of the bigger safeties. Uh, but again, he can play that rover high hybrid linebacker role, and that's something that they've talked about within his draft profile is that ability for him to slide up to play that linebacker role. And to me, in the situation, if you have Malcolm Smith or Jacob Phillips, you know, whoever you feel more ideally about, and then you have someone like Divine Diablo, now you have up to, what is that, six defensive backs or someone that's in that mode of defensive back where you have a lot of speed on the field, but you're not giving up too much size if you bring in someone like Diablo um, or, you know, Jeremiah Owosu Koomora versus if you bring in another, you know, cornerback or something like that? Um, so, uh, Divine Diablo is, is great for that. And my only issue is he's 23 already. Uh, and I think he's closer to 24 than he is to 23. That may be something the Browns don't love, but I am more than happy to take safeties early and often considering the Brown situation and what they're trying to do. So I don't rule out Trevon Morig to this team. If they get stuck, he's fantastic. I think he fits exactly what this team wants to do. He's rangy. He's big. He can do all kinds of different things. He can play both. He can play all three spots really. Um, so he's tremendous. And obviously until John Johnson was signed, that was the guy that I came back to over and over again is the guy that stood out to me for 26. He may not even make it that far. Uh, I really, really like Javon Holland from Oregon. Um, I think he's a guy who can play free safety and slot corner. Uh, he's a ball hawk, a little bit of a gambler, but man, he can be good in man coverage, which is super valuable for that position, uh, super valuable to what the Browns want to do, but he knows how to go get the ball. Um, he can come up and tackle. So he's a guy that really stands out to me. And if the Browns sort of trade up, you know, with that back from the third or up in the third round and Javon Holland sort of hanging around for some reason, I'd be more than happy to add him because he does address those two positions. Um, I like uh, Caleb Stearns from Texas. Um, I feel like his role at Texas got too big that sort of limited how productive he could be, but he had elite production as a, as a true freshman, uh, freaky athlete. Um, I, I think the Browns can sort of mold him as a strong safety slash Rover type uh, can play special teams. So he's really intriguing from that standpoint. And then 
Uh, one guy late that I think could make a lot of sense to the Browns is Derek Forrest from Cincinnati. He's a local kid. Went to Walnut Ridge near Columbus for high school. He's only 21 years old. Uh, very active tackler. Um, played strong safety at Cincinnati. Mostly that split too high look. He's a guy who will let guys get behind him, but he, you know, I, I think that's why he needs to be a strong safety. Is he is far more inclined to come up and hit people. His he, he had freaky athletic testing. Super productive as a junior. I think he's a guy who can be a missile on special teams early, and you can try to work with him to be a rover, potentially strong safety down the line, and just give him add depth uh, and improve the overall athleticism of the group anyway. But this is sort of like with the way the Browns are sort of set up, you, you really cater to a lot of different interests in this, and you can sort of take some of these guys who are sort of raw and maybe aim them at something, um, and that's obviously starts with special teams, but I think they can sort of take some of these impressive athletes like a guy like Forrest or Stearns and sort of mold them into what they need because they don't need these guys to play right away. Uh, they they do need depth, though. Yeah, um, I, I think depth is really the biggest thing that you want to be looking at in the, in the safety room. And quick shout out to Brandon Little. Uh, make sure you guys go to the Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website and check out the article that he have after interviewing Derek Forbes from Cincinnati. Uh, give you guys a little bit more insight of the local kid that could potentially end up on the Browns. And for me, two day three targets, um, I would say ideally of the two, um, Andre Sisco out of Syracuse. He did tears ACL um, in 2020, but the one thing that he displayed that I like out of safeties is great ball skills. Uh, I might flip these two, but I believe it's 11 interceptions and 13 pass defections over the last two, three years, um, which I think is huge because it shows the ability to play the play the ball at the point of attack, um, which is really something that's hard to teach. Like, you know, you can teach someone, you know, how to either be a little bit more instinctive, I guess, or how to read a play versus, you know, you've seen plenty of people come in college where they have very good man corner skills and rather be pest man or playing in zone and closing on the ball, but some of the issues that you still see with throughout their career is being able to make a play on the ball when the ball is on the air. Um, and I feel like that's a little bit harder, harder of a trait to teach someone. Um, and I know that doesn't sound ideal to applicable real life, but I mean, it's, it's been shown, you know, throughout the years. Um, obviously the injury is a bit of a concern, but if you're going to end up Again, I think this is a position where they could double dip because you want to have that depth in the defensive back room. And it's better to have um, more than less in a position like safety or cornerback versus having to spend a ton of money in free agency. Um, you know, who knows if Ronnie Harrison would resign or not since they traded for him. Um, so, you know, you obviously want to find some insurance for that. And then also had uh, Jamie and Sherwood out of Auburn, potentially someone that you can get in the fourth round. 6'2", six, six, 220, um, gives you a little bit of flexibility to either play strong safety or free safety. Um, and again, just finding that value is going to be really important. And I wouldn't mind Trayvon Mori out of TCU in the first round, because like you said, you know, it, it gives you that insurance in the situation that, you know, if John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit goes down, I don't want Shildra Gradwine or Elijah Benton being the first person that I need to entrust 
so you can stick with that kind of big nickel uh, defense that Joe Woods wants to run. Yeah, uh, Jamie Sherwood, uh, I wish he tested better, uh, but the big thing with him is he, he looks perfect for Rover and he can cover tight ends, or at least he did in college. And then he's got a ton of special teams reps. And that may be something the Browns are specifically going, looking at. They lost a lot of special teams uh, snaps this offseason, guys signing elsewhere. So, you know, some of those guys may stand out to them that played a ton of special teams in college. Yeah. Uh, so as we kind of wrap up the the draft needs that the Browns have, um, the two really left over are defensive tackle and running back. I know for some people, they would say, you know, why would you need a running back um, when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? But at the end of the day, you always need insurance if contract negotiations don't go your way. And it's better to be early to the party than late, per se. Um, but with defensive tackle, this one's kind of tough because... I mean, in layman terms, the defensive class sucks. Um, you know, it's, it sucks to say that, but when the number one rated defensive tackle is a questionable first round pick, that's obviously not a situation where you feel very confident uh, if this is one of the positions needs you have to address. But I also feel like it gives you enough versa. I don't want to say versatility. It gives you a lot of diversity of options to pick from. Um, when I look at defensive tackle. So someone like Aline McNeil out of NC State uh, in the second round, he's 6'2", 320. He was the highest graded run defender by Pro Football Focus last year. Um, you know, you look at Davian Nixon out of Iowa. He's 6'3", 305, a little bit closer to the mode of Jordan Elliott. Now, he's not someone that's, you know, a pass rusher on the interior like Elliott is, but, you know, he shows traits of being a hard worker. Um one of my favorites is Tommy Togai at Ohio State. I mean, you got to have at least one Buckeye. If you don't, um, are you really an Ohio sports fan? But um, he's a dis disruptive three technique. Now, he does have limited tape, but I feel that the lack of snaps that he has um, for you know scouts to look at is really the Ohio State defense has a lot of players that they like to rotate. And at the end of the day, if you're on a good team with – good talent around you if your coach wants to continue to rotate players so they're fresh i mean that's you you can't really be blamed for that and it, it gives you the ability to you know, select him potentially in the third back into the third round and feel confident about his development because one he's a three technique yes you already do have jordan elliott but it gives you someone else that's kind of within that mode of what shoulder richardson was he doesn't have the longest arms um, but I mean, they're not necessarily short either. So really his technique and growing in that role is going to be important for him. And then to me, the person that stands out the most, um, really fourth round day three, you don't grab nose tackles, um, earlier than that is Tyler Shelvin out of LSU. Uh, I mean, the man is enormous. He's six, three, three forty six. Um, there are some questions about his ability to maintain a consistent weight and that goes all the way back to high school. So that might be an issue in terms of if a team wants to draft him or not, or if he slides, but I mean, he's enormous. He, he eats space and he's someone that's going to clog run lanes. Uh, kind of what you got out of what the Patriots got out of Vince Wilfork. When you have a guy that big, you don't expect him to rush the passer and, and, you know, just be a, a complete game record. He has one job. He's going to eat space at that one technique or play right in the a gap. 
and command double teams. If you can do that, you're someone that could provide death behind Andrew Billings. You know, if you're in that situation where he either, you know, gets hurt or you just know this is this big body guy. If we can get him on the right diet plan could provide a lot of value in terms of, you know, a two down lineman and then have Jordan Elliott and someone else come in uh, for pass rush situations. Yeah, uh, Vince Wilfork was actually really productive in college. Uh, that's sort of where I, I don't like guys like Shelvin because, you know, I don't care if you're 350 pounds. You should be able to produce if I'm expecting you to do stuff in the NFL. Uh, guys I like, Marlon Tui Pulotu from USC uh, is sort of that one tech and four three scheme. Um, very balanced, long arm, strong. Uh, if you run right at him, he's going to stop you. Uh, he, he has some interesting qualities. Um, he's younger, which I think will attract the Browns. Um, and if they do want to go slightly older, and 23, which is you know outside of where they've been drafting. I like Jonathan Marshall from Arkansas. Uh, limited in terms of how much he's done for his career. Uh, he only really played this last season. Um, questions about his stamina but he's a freaky athlete who can be extremely disruptive and just needs more coaching. You know, for a situation like the Browns where they just need somebody to come in to give Billings a break, that may be a simple way to go about it. Personally, I'd still rather address it in free agency, uh, but we'll see what shakes out on that front. They may still be interested uh, with some of the options that could uh, present themselves on that market. I think had this clowny thing come up earlier, obviously his his uh, knee surgery was the issue with that. I think maybe they would have addressed it already, but it, it just sort of worked out the way it did. So I think they're, they're going to have to try to address that somehow. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Christian Barmore? I know there's going to be a lot of people mocking him to the Browns at 26 just because it's the easy thing to do since they released Sheldon Richardson, but if I have to pick at 26, I wouldn't want it to be him. Just wildly inconsistent. Um, he didn't have a great production profile um, in terms of things like solo tackles. I mean, he he did a great job in terms of rushing the passer, made some impact plays in that standpoint. But I'm, I'm always concerned with guys who are that uneven. Um, certainly it can help that, it, you know, uh, you'd have to, you know, look at it, how, you know, how many snaps was he playing for Alabama? And maybe, you know, this was a year where they, they had to have guys play more than they normally do. Um, and then coming to a team like the Browns might help that he's not out there as much, but uh, I just never got the sense that, you know, this is a first round prospect. You know, I liked Ross Blacklock out of TCU better last year and he was a mid second round guy. I, I just, I'm just not, wowed by what I've seen by Barmore over any of the, there's just so many potential options I think that are better uh, with that pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like it's, it's hit or miss. Um, one guy that I've been constantly seeing come up that may surprise a lot of people is Jay Tufele. I think that's how you pronounce his name out of USC. He opted out this season. He's six three three zero five. Um, It kind of can play that similar role of the other guy that you had mentioned out of the UFC um, that could potentially go by the third round. And th that's really going to be, I feel like, a consistent um, 
I guess, conversation that's happening throughout the draft process is how teams evaluate players that opted out last season. And a lot of them are going to be from the Pac-12, um, which you already stated. So, uh, you know, maybe boards could fall differently than, you know, some people expect because of the players that decided to opt out. And that's definitely something we'll have to monitor. Um, so just to wrap this up with the running backs, um, personally, um, I don't even see them even touching someone until uh, day three. But in the situation, you know, if you are already kind of hitting it out of the park, with the picks that you do have and you kind of sit where you are with the four picks between uh, day one and day two. I wouldn't mind Mark, Michael Carter, that second running back out of UNC in the third round, um, someone that offers a lot of versatility, or Trey Sermon. Um, I would prefer him more in the fourth round. And I mean, I ideally would want the Browns to see someone uh, be drafted with size that can be a little bit closer to a power back that's the one thing I feel like their roster is missing. Um, with Trey Sermon, I mean, he's a little bit taller at 6'1", but at, at 215, uh, I feel like he brings enough power and also that basically that run he had in the college playoffs and towards the end of the season for Ohio State definitely is going to up his value. Um, but I feel like that could be a good addition, again, because you just don't know what's going to happen with that Nick Chubb um, contract situation. So you definitely want to find some insurance and then one last person where it's kind of maybe like hit or miss uh, could be like R R Ramondre Stevenson, no relation, um, out of Oklahoma. He's six foot 246, which is huge. Um, if you can get him to be, you know, a little bit more physical at that size, I feel like that's a great power back to add. You know, if you're finding looking for some value and potentially like the fourth top of the fifth round. And maybe Chubba Hubbard, uh, I know he was talked about early on in his college career and it's really falling down draft boards. But sometimes when people are discounted, can, you know, change their projection into the NFL once they actually get the opportunity. Well, the only guys that really jump out at me are Cleo Herbert from Virginia Tech and Kylan Hill from uh, Mississippi State. Mississippi, uh, Kylan Hill got better uh, as a pass catcher this last year. And Cleo Herbert is just really, really good. Yeah, um, I, I like Herbert out of Virginia Tech. Um, that's another person, I think, around the third, maybe fourth round. Um, again, the Browns, the biggest thing for them in this draft is finding value and making sure early in the draft that you're able to address, really, I would say ideally, corner, edge, and wide receiver. If you can address those, you know, early by day two, then you really set yourself up to start moving around the draft board, um, finding value in next year's draft, being able to trade back and get additional picks would be the best draft strategy for Andrew Barry. So um, as noted, the NFL draft is next week. This is going to be huge that the Cleveland Browns be able to add depth and value for not only this season, but the following years as well in this upcoming draft class. Uh, I want to thank you guys again for joining us for episode uh, six of the Browns Digest podcast. We will be back next week as well prior to the NFL draft to give you guys our entire first round mock draft and what we believe the Browns will do. Um, again, the episode will be available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And we will see you guys next time.